0: We uh, have talked about the temptations and the things we have to fight and resist in life over the last few weeks. We've talked about doing battle with Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. We always have to remember that, that probably the most significant name for him is the name Abaddon, which means destroyer in the Greek, Apollyon. He wants to destroy what God has made. He wants to twist around and misuse what God considers holy. And Satan will work that way just as effectively as he did in the Garden of Eden as he deceived Eve and then Adam. We've also talked about the flesh and our sinful nature and how we struggle with that. We can be our own worst enemies. You do know that. We're not sinners because of sin. We sin because we are by nature sinners. You can't look back and see a time when you didn't sin. The devil and the world seem to work together so well at that. Our enemy again is the world. Those three together work so effectively to pull us away from what God wants us to be. The culture in which we live today, which is ruled by the devil, seems to be dominating everything. People not denying the existence of God, but mocking Him, deriding Him, ridiculing Him. The world by its very makeup is full of sinners. It's in opposition to God, always has been. We as Christians are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And that's one of the most difficult things for us to do. But today we're going to talk about the last enemy that we deal with. And that's the enemy of death. I'm so thankful that Jesus made it very plain that he would defeat that enemy. Way back in the days of Benjamin Franklin, one of the quotes, one of the first ones that, that he published and he was quoted for was, there are two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. At last count, death is fatal to 100% of the population, with the exception of only two people, Enoch and Elijah. Boy, I can't wait to meet those two guys and find out what they did to get that. Just, it's amazing to think about. Yet all of us, if the Lord tarries and does not return, we're going to die. We're going to face that. Whether we like it or not. And, and death is something that, as a minister, I've gotten very used to. As if you ever get used to it. 37 years of watching several hundred people die. And everyone has the same fear. And they struggle with it. I walked out of this church a few weeks ago to be with a member who was about to die. And she knew it. She knew that when her external uh, device that was keeping her alive and keeping her heart beating because her pacemaker didn't work anymore, she knew that when they turned that off, that she'd die. delight had been a member of this church for a long time. A very faithful, godly woman. Ninety-seven years she had lived on earth. Surely in ninety-seven years you learn so much about life. But the one thing she did not know was about death. And to be able to stand next to her bed and look her eye to eye. And to whisper to her words of encouragement. And to let her know that that there's something going on this very moment in your life that you've never experienced before, but you will feel an overwhelming power in it, and that is dying grace. The grace that God gives us in a time like that, that He just simply surrounds us and loves us in that transition from this world to the real world. I'm so thankful God does that. Today we look at the enemy of death. And we who are Christians understand that that Jesus died for us in our stead, so we don't have to go through that pain. Yes, we pass through that veil. We pass, in walking into the valley of the shadow of death, we pass through it into true life. And I am so thankful for that. But I want you to think today a little bit about Jesus coming and, and the fact that if He does not return, we're going to die. And yet we're not supposed to fear that death. Only those who are not saved or spiritually dead should fear it. For they have nothing to hold on to. They do not have a lifeline anywhere. And that's what's so frightening. In a cemetery in Indiana, there's a tombstone there that for over a hundred years, people travel long distances just to read what's on the tombstone. it's, It's often quoted... Here are the words that are on the front of that tombstone after the name of the one buried there and their birth and death date. It says this: It says, Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. That's been quoted by many, many people. In fact, one day, the caretakers of the cemetery walked up there and somebody had posted a big note right below this quote, and it said this. It says, To follow you, I'm not content until I know where you went. And Whoever wrote that, they're thinking just like me. I want to know where you went first. They're correct. And we need to have that assurance. You know, we get confused with ideas and one of them that we get confused with is this. Some people say that 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 the security of the believer is something I struggle with. I don't I don't I don't struggle with that. It's very simple. My security rests in Jesus Christ. Have I had doubts? Of course I've had doubts. So have you. But then again it's not me holding on to Jesus. It's Jesus holding on to me. Jesus said, my Father's greater than all and no one is able to pluck you out of my Father's hands. That's my security. Now, I'll tell you this. Whether your assurance of salvation is what it should be depends on the life you're living. And you, you may not be assured that you're going to heaven because you've not been living a life... It says back to you, Jesus is my all in all. Based upon that, you may have doubts. And and, and I'll tell you, you can investigate that and you can come to an assurance beyond any shadow that, that you are saved and you will have a home in heaven. And you will not have to be afraid when that moment comes. I've told you before that I had several men in the church that would come and talk to me primarily senior citizens, that would want to talk about what heaven is like. Every once in a while we'd talk about death and we'd wonder what death is really like. Ralph Derryberry, on several occasions we talked about understanding when death comes and whether it comes quickly or slowly, how it affects us. And the great news is this. Death cannot remove anything from us of quality. The process of death may cause you to to lose the the resemblance of what you had in life. It may dissipate your strength and and your, your knowledge and your consciousness of who is around you and what's going on. That's a part of the process of death with some people. Some people die slowly. Some people die quickly. But there's one thing that I'm assured of. All that you have and are, believe and know, love and are committed to will be with you when you step into heaven. Though your body is left behind and and it will return to the earth and one day it will be remade, we know that. Your, your, Your soul, your spirit, your mind, will and emotions are in heaven. And there in heaven you contain and retain all that you had here in that understanding. And I'm so thankful for that. We will know people in heaven that we knew of but never met on earth. We'll know our our family ten generations back. We'll meet people that were in Scripture that we don't know really what they look like. And I was so upset when I was nine years old and I was baptized, and I found out those pictures in my Bible were not actual pictures of Adam and Eve and all the other people in Scripture. I thought, surely they look like that. Certainly that's the way they appear. No, it's not. But I do know this. God gives us a supernatural knowledge. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus stood there and wanted to show a part of His glory to three of His disciples, He was translated into that image of glory and what he truly was. And standing on either side of him were two men who had been gone a long time. Elijah literally rode into heaven on a chariot. A whirlwind took him to heaven. Moses died and was buried by the angels in a secret place. Yet somehow Peter, James, and John looked at them and knew them. How would that happen? They didn't have Polaroid pictures of them. They didn't have paintings of them. No. God gives us that, that divine understanding of who we are and who others are. and I, I just can't imagine how deeply and wonderful that will be. Imagine the homecoming in heaven one day of being there with all these people that, that we've known about and we thought about We've loved and we've cherished and, and then we'll be with them, And there'll never be an ending whatsoever. I want to think about some truths today from this passage that we need to hold on to as we think about death. And I know it's not a pleasant thing to think about. The reality is, all of us will face that. The first thing I want to think about is this, unless Jesus returns, we're going to die. It's a, you know, this life is 100% fatal. The 89th Psalm says, What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? No. 4,000 years ago, Job asked the question, If a man dies, will he live again? What a great question. He was facing the reality of death. He had seen his family die. Everyone had died but his wife. And she'd given up on him. Yet he said, Is this the end? Is this life all that there is? Surely you understand that simply by looking about you and understanding the nature of our Creator and God, that He did not endow you with the ability to change your destiny, to make choices, and to change the world around you. You're so different than the other creatures that God created. Surely God has a purpose for you. And that purpose is amazing. Number one is to find your way back to Him. And in Jesus Christ, that's what we do. But secondly, is to worship Him, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know, the Bible plainly tells us that everyone will have an eternal existence and consciousness. But only those who know Jesus will really live. You will live somewhere. If you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, you will go to a place that Jesus described by pointing to the garbage dump in Jerusalem. He pointed at that and He said, that is what hell is like. It's sadness and destruction and death. It's the odors of death. It's the fragrance of the lost. It is not a place that anyone should ever desire But He wanted people to understand that they have a choice. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. God has planned on us being with Him. Before the Messiah came... There was a way to go to heaven. And it was very simple. To sacrifice. And as you sacrifice, that was your faith in the coming Messiah. And if you followed those sacrifices and you believed, you'd be there. Must have been a lot of people there because it took Jesus three days to get them all out of of the, the... the bosom of Abraham, they called it, and take them into heaven because they couldn't go to heaven. They had to go to the dwelling place of the dead. You know the story. Jesus told the story. It's a true story. It's not a parable. About the rich man and Lazarus. And Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham. And it is said that the bosom of Abraham was a place that was beautiful and tranquil, but you could see across from it another place where those who had died without God would dwell. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to imagine that that would be a place I would want to go. Back in the late 50s or early 60s, it became a popular thing for some people that were not believers to go about and make this comment. You've heard it before. They said, why would I want to go to heaven? I want to go to hell and be with all my friends. Now, that sounds real cute until you get a little older. And then you begin to realize that eternity is a long time. And there's some things you may want to take a chance with. You may may want to to take a chance with buying a piece of property about whether or not it will go up in value or not, or or buying a stock and and hoping that it will do better or not. There's some things you want to take a chance with, and it's worth that. Your soul is not something you want to gamble with. And some people, not understanding the importance of that decision, will say something frivolous and foolish like that. Don't gamble with your own soul. We all have to die. And I'll remind you of this. Sitting in this church does not make you a Christian. Reading your Bible does not make you a Christian. Although that's a good thing, it's a movement toward that. Joining the church does not make you a Christian. Sad but true. In fact, should I say this, Jeff? Even tithing does not make you a Christian. Becoming a Christian is a decision of the consciousness of your heart. And it works this way. You have to, number one, realize that you are a sinner, that you're a sinner by nature, and you're a sinner by choice. You were born a sinner. We are a fallen race of people. Number two, you need to realize that you need a Savior. You can't save yourself. Good works will make you look nice. As my dad used to tell me, living right will keep you out of jail. It just won't keep you out of hell. The reality is there's only one thing that you can do to to gain heaven, and that is accept the gift of heaven from the only one that can offer it. That's Jesus Christ. And he offers it so freely, so freely. I had someone ask me one time, they said, do you have to change your life to become a Christian? Do you have to give up smoking and drinking and dancing and partying? And I said something that was so un-Baptist, it's scary. I said, no, you don't. They looked and they said, don't tell my mama that. You'll get angry with you. And I said, no, you don't. I said, here's the thing. You give your heart to Jesus and He'll clean you up in time. You won't want to do those things that are destructive in your life. You will learn moderation in many things. You'll understand that He is preeminent in your life. No, you don't have to give up those things to come to God. He will take care of that for you. Now secondly, I want you to realize that Jesus accomplished the unthinkable just for you. There are those who rose from the dead in the Bible. Lazarus was one of them. Many people were raised from the dead because they were trying to prove to the, to the Jews that j- just didn't believe the Messiah was there, that, that this was the Messiah. And they should Listen. And there were people who were raised from the dead. But here's the bad news. Lazarus eventually died. The man that was healed that was blind eventually went blind later on or died. Those who were crippled that were healed, uh, their healing didn't last. The reality is Jesus did something for us that, that no one else could do. He gained heaven for us, a place that we do not deserve, that we did not earn. Now, you know, Americans, especially if you're my age or older, you were raised to be proud and to have a work ethic. And you might be like me, I don't want a handout. I'd rather be the one helping someone than someone helping me. And and part of that is is really the wrong kind of pride. But I was raised with a a work ethic and a pride that says, no, you, you, you earn what is yours and you take care of it and you teach that. But Jesus did something for me I couldn't earn. I could not pay that price. There's no way I could gain a home in heaven. It was a gift and it's a gift that absolutely enshrouds your life. It'll change you forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead and is the firstfruits of those who are asleep. Let me explain what that means. It's looking back on those who had died that believed in Christ and, and their body was left behind. And there was an expression they used then to describe death because actually there was really no word to describe a body dying and decaying and they just said they're asleep because they knew the time would come that that body would be raised again and it would be remade and it would be perfect and it would have no flaws I've got to be honest with you I wonder what we're going to look like with no flaws if we'll recognize each other. I, Laura, your mother's got to be wearing those glasses and that chain she wore around there. Otherwise, I won't recognize her. She always had that. There, there, there are going to be people that we'll see there that we'll see in, in a state, in an age, in a time that we never imagined. People that were crippled and bent over and were missing limbs will be Perfect. Because Jesus didn't just die to get us into heaven, but to change us into what He wanted us to be from the beginning. And all of our infirmities will be healed. All of them. God, God does that for us. I think Jesus looked at Lazarus and it broke his heart. In fact, it's so unusual that, you know, back when, when, when I was in the junior department, we had to memorize a verse. We always fought over, the, you know, the one Jesus wept because that's the easiest one to remember. You know, we always wanted to do that. And I, I learned that that verse is a very special verse because it's not like any other verse in the Bible, even though it's the shortest. The word there for weep or wept in the Greek does not mean that he was just crying like you fall down, skin your knee and you cry. No, it's much more than that. It was a fitful, angry weeping. You ever been mad and started crying? That's exactly what Jesus did. And remember this, only the God who was there when creation was made, and it was, it was in innocence, it wasn't perfect yet. It had to stand the test. And unfortunately, the, Adam and Eve failed the test. But God gave them every opportunity and Jesus looked on the flaw that brought along death and he was angry. He had come into this world to die to free us from that death and he alone had the authority and the right to hate death. He was angry with it. I am so glad that he felt that way and he is that way, and He's going to free us from that. You know, Paul in Corinthians explains physical death in an amazing way. He says that, for as in Adam all die. But there's a word there that's so unusual. It's the word in. As in Adam, we all die. And then after that it says, as in Christ, we live. Dear people, the life that we have in Christ... Is so valuable, so significant, so important. But lastly, I want you to realize this. There's one question you need to ask yourself before you leave here today Are you in Christ or are you still in Adam? Are you in Christ? Do you know Him as your Savior? I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you're a church member. I'm not asking you if you come to Sunday school or read your Bible. Are you in Christ? Do you know that there was a point in time, are you certain that there was a point in time when you looked at your life and realized you were a sinner? and You realized you couldn't save yourself. You may have been very young. It may have been a long time ago. But did you ask Him to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins? Because you can't be close to that. I had a football coach at Russell High School used to say, and we'd say something about, he'd say, well, did you do your push-ups right? And say, we, we came close. And we'd always say something like, well, you know, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. He, said, he would look back at us and he'd say, close never counts for the lost. He said, either you are saved or you aren't saved. Either you've done what I've told you to, or you haven't done what I've told you to do. I don't want to know if you're close. I want to know if you're really saved. Because that's what really matters. They don't don't have a special exceptions line to get into heaven that you did a lot of good things. It doesn't work that way. There's not a five minute notice that you're about to die that you can make that choice. Because remember in your life there's another one working. Satan. And he'll do everything to interfere with your coming to Jesus as Savior, he'll try every trick that he has to stop that. Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, he defeats the power of death within you. It can no longer have victory in your life. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. And he won the victory for us. He made him powerless in our lives. Do you feel that power? Do you feel that freedom from Satan? Do you you understand that you're going to heaven? Oh dear people, if you don't, don't leave this room. Don't get up from where you sit or stand without making sure that you know for certain that you're okay with God, and He loves you, and you have that relationship. I had the opportunity in 1988 to go to Switzerland, and I spent several weeks there. And I was supposed to go on a vacation there, but in 21 days in Switzerland, I preached 24 times. They wore me out. They told me, oh, you're, you're, you're going to be able to rest and get away from things. I have never preached so much in my life, and I, but I've never been happier. One afternoon, I was exhausted, and I walked out on the lawn of this beautiful hotel where we were staying in the Swiss Alps. And the lawn re- literally drifted on for about 150 or 200 yards, and then there was a sheer drop-off for two-thirds of a mile. of course, they had nice little tiny signs that were not in English that said, don't go beyond this point. And I sat literally within 50 feet of one of those signs at a little table having tea in the afternoon. And I was set up, literally set up. Some people that sponsored me coming there got an older gentleman that was there that I did not know or recognize right away to walk down and ask if he could have tea with me. And I said, certainly. And we sat and we began to talk. And as we began to talk, I looked at him more closely. Because, you know, we guys don't stare at other guys a whole lot. You know, if we recognize somebody, that's fine. If we don't, that's okay. But I kept looking at him and I thought, I know this man. Where have I seen him before? And suddenly he began to say something and I literally, my jaw dropped. I said, oh my goodness. I said, you're Malcolm Muggeridge. And he smiled and he said, I was wondering when you'd realize that. Next to C.S. Lewis, he was my favorite Christian writer. He was a journalist from England. He was called by Queen Elizabeth, the conscience of England. When I met him, he was dying with cancer. He died like 18 months later. But I sat there and I talked to him for the longest. And I was just blessed being in the presence of a man who was so influential that he led William F. Buckley to Christ in a debate that they had. Buckley, in the middle of the debate, realized that Muggeridge was correct, that there was a God, there had to be a God, that he created this world, and it's our responsibility to come to know him. William F. Buckley in all of his arrogance and candor and pride knelt in the TV studio that they were recording that with the BBC and asked Jesus into his heart. Malcolm Muggeridge was that kind of Christian. And I was reading a quote that he he wrote many years ago and it goes like this. He said, when you're as old as I am, there are all sorts of extremely pleasant things that happen to you. The pleasantness... Of all is that you wake up in the night and you find that you are half in and half out of this world in your old battered carcass. It seems quite a toss-up whether you'll go back or resume your full occupancy in the body that you're in, your mortal body, or you'll make off toward the bright glow you see in the sky, the lights of the city of God. Dr. Mugridge understood that going to heaven is not something that we're afraid of. It's something we relish and celebrate. And because of that, and because Jesus died to free us from the fear of death, death is not an enemy, it's just a way of getting there. It's a step you take, and you know that God is with you. Oh dear friend, don't be afraid of death. Don't live your life in such a way that you're so afraid of death that you never experience life. That is not living. That's half-life. But once you know Jesus is Savior, everything changes. And I pray that's where your heart is today. Let us pray. Father, I thank You that You give us a boldness to come before you. And, and just now we're coming in that boldness because we want to know for certain that everyone here, everyone listening to my voice, knows that they have a home in heaven. Knows that they have sins forgiven. Knows that the Holy Spirit is within them. And Lord, even if they've gone through the steps and yet they look back and they were not sincere, And they were not sure. They were doing it for the wrong reason. Because a family member told them to. Or because their friends were doing it. You know, whatever. If they're not certain. Lord, please don't let pride stand in their way to make the right choice today. Father, speak to someone even now. Someone that needs to accept the gift of salvation. And may this be the moment. As we enter into this time of invitation. As we sing this hymn, may someone make a commitment and may the power of the Holy Spirit guide them to come forward and make that public. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.